0: We've been in James, and we'll be in James today, and I want to take that part of that reading from uh, James's letter, in particular, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and, and if you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1201. James chapter 3, and beginning at verse 13, and won't you look at that with me again. James chapter 3, and beginning at verse 13. This morning I want to talk about godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And something to keep in mind, I I think, as we begin to consider what James has to say about uh, godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom is that James is writing to Christians. In fact, um, here's an example. Chapter 1 and beginning at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers or we would say brothers and sisters, but he's talking to fellow Christians. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you, I'll give you the whole nugget, for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Or then chapter 2 opens up and says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then chapter 3 opens. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Fifteen times he says this in the course of what we know as the five chapters of James's letter, making reference to what he considers to be fellow believers. And so James isn't uh, talking to someone else this morning. He's not, he's not talking to people outside the church. He's not talking to people who, who don't believe. He's talking to us and God through him. And so this message here this morning about godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom is a message for us. And the first thing I'd like us to consider as we look at what James has to say about this is itself worldly wisdom. Indeed, notice again, beginning at verse 13, Indeed, verses 13 to 16, Who is wise and understanding among you? You you claim to be wise and have understanding. If that's so, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and lie or be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly and unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And one thing that we might note, even as we're getting started, is that James says is that worldly wisdom is really no wisdom at all. It's a bit of a... It, but the world sees it that way. That this, this is their philosophy of light you know, eat or be eaten, you know, how many rungs you have to step on as you're you're climbing the ladder, or whatever it is, look out for number one, that's a philosophy, that's a a wisdom, quote unquote, but James says that the worldly wisdom is really no wisdom at all, or at least not real wisdom as God counts wisdom, look at verse 14 again, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth, for this wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And so James says uh, that uh, worldly wisdom is boastful. It claims to be wisdom. And those who practice it claim to be wise. The scripture would maybe perhaps uh, describe them as wise in their own eyes. But James says that's a lie. Indeed, James says that those who are practicing worldly wisdom, and as they're doing it in the church, he tells them to stop boasting and stop referring to yourself or thinking yourself wise if this is the way you're behaving. Stop being false to the truth. You're living a lie. This is not wisdom. This is not good. This is not right. This is not from God. Stop it, James says. And so James says that worldly wisdom is really no wisdom at all. Then James says that worldly wisdom finds its center apart from God. This is very interesting indeed. Notice again verses 14 and 15. And listen carefully. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. As you may claim. But is earthly. Unspiritual. And demonic. And so James says that. Worldly wisdom finds its center. Apart from God. Indeed, James says that worldly wisdom is, as he describes it, earthly. That is to say, it's not from above, it's from below. (laughs) It's earthbound. It finds its center of origin here. It's not godly wisdom, it's worldly wisdom. And then James says that this uh, worldly wisdom is, as he describes it, unspiritual. In the Greek, soukikos, uh, which we might uh, otherwise translate as natural or, or soulish. If you like, originating from the heart of fallen man. And so it's earthly and it's fleshly. It originates with fallen man, not with God. And then James says something that might ought to, ought to put... Uh, chills up and down the back of our spine, he says that worldly wisdom is demonic do you remember do, do you remember when Peter responded and jesus said i 'm going to Jerusalem and i'm i 'm going to be mistreated and crucified they 're going to kill me, and on the third day i 'll rise again. Do you remember peter Peter took him aside? Can you imagine? Oh, excuse me, Jesus, can I have a minute? <laughs> takes him aside, grabbed him, shook him and said, that will never happen to you. And what was Jesus' response? He said, get behind me, Satan. And notice what came in the next phrase. Because you are thinking like a man, the thoughts of a human being, not the thoughts of God. And this wisdom, this false wisdom, this earthly wisdom, this unspiritual wisdom, James calls demonic. And Indeed, at the very least, it should alert us to how dangerous it is. We tend to sort of, I don't know, uh, just sort of gloss over it. When, it, when it's present in our lives, and depending on the other person who may be practicing it, if it's a friend or whatever, that we might gloss gloss over it in their life, but James says this this is serious, serious stuff, demonic. It's ungodly and demonic. And so the world finds, world's wisdom finds its center apart from God. And then James says, And worldly wisdom is characterized by five key features. Notice again verses 14. and Watch them. Look for them. But if you have bitter jealousy, Oh, that, that never happens in the church. But if you have bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast. You shouldn't be boasting. You should be repenting. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is a lie. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for wherever jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And so James says that worldly wisdom is characterized by these five things, the first of which is bitter jealousy. And so worldly wisdom is by nature bitter and resentful. It's often angry about what other people have or the positions that they hold while coveting those same things for ourselves. In fact, as as Greg read this The actual lection for today goes on and bleeds into chapter 4. I'm reading chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Notice, because he continues this, this theme, he says, What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you, in the church? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, and so you murder I don't know if he meant actual physical murder or just, oh, I just wish they were dead. Remember that? Jesus says, if you hate your enemies, you've committed murder in your heart. You desire and you don't have, and so you murder. You covet, but you can't obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. What? Until you get what you want. (laughs) Fun church. And so this is the description of the church where worldly wisdom is run rampant or is at otherwise at work. John Piper, he defined jealousy this way. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but just think about this. He says, jealousy is desire and resentment combined. It's not just desire and it's not just resentment. Jealousy is desire, I want it, and resentment because you've got it combined. That's jealousy. I've often said, you know, in the church, if you, want, <laughs> if you want to be comforted, tell the other people the things that are going wrong in your life, and they'll come, oh, I'll be praying for you. If you want to be hated, tell them about the good things that are going on in your life, because we're given to jealousy. Jealousy. And yet, when the Spirit of God is flowing through us, we sorrow with those who sorrow and we rejoice with those who rejoice. What's your response when somebody tells you about some great thing that happened? Do you go, yippee! Or do you go, uh-huh. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, hey, congratulations. That's what I want. And I think I deserve it more than you. And that's what we do. You know, But when the bad news is like, oh, okay, yeah, well, I'll be praying for you. I can, handle your so- I, can ha- I can handle your pain. I can't handle your joy. And that's because of jealousy. Then James says that worldly wisdom is characterized by selfish ambition. This often involves the pursuit of private agendas and self-promotion, regardless of the purpose of the gospel and the church's God-given purpose and mission, what are we about as an institution, and what are we about as individuals that make up the institution, that make up the body of Christ? In fact, if you think of that metaphor, the body of Christ, imagine if you had, if you had one foot that was on board with your, your brain and the other foot that wasn't. The, other, the, the, the right foot has, a, no, I'm not going that way, I'm going this way. And that's, A body in dysfunction. And when that exists in the church, the the church never can seem to take the right ball across the right goal line because it's heading in various different directions if it's not one. Selfish ambition. And then James says that worldly wisdom is characterized by arrogance, not humility. but arrogance, self-centeredness, not Christ-centeredness, but pride. I've always appreciated what somebody has written. Just imagine how different life in the church would be if God was as big to us as our egos. (laughs) You don't think that's funny? I think that's hilarious. (laughs) Just imagine how different life in the church would be if God was as big to us as our egos. And worldly wisdom is arrogant. James says that worldly wisdom is characterized by disorder. That is chaos, confusion in the church. I've been in, I've been in meetings, I was in a meeting, I was so confused, I didn't realize what I was doing. It was, it was, it was so chaotic and the anger and the thing. I literally got up out. I'm running the meeting. I literally got up out of my chair and walked back to my office. It was almost like I was sleepwalking. And I sat down in my office and I said, wait a minute, I just left the meeting and I'm running it. But it was absolute helter-skelter and people saying, this is mine and this is mine and this is saying, No! And it, I, I'm, my brain and my heart couldn't take it. And my body just says, I think I'm going to leave this. M. Scott Peck in his great book, and I encourage you to read it. I'm sure it's in print. I think I read it 30 years after it was first published. (laughs) Called People of the Lie. M. Scott Peck said said this, One of the key characteristics of evil is the desire to confuse. (laughs) Come And then, incredible. One of the key characteristics of evil is the desire to confuse. Well, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Wow. Well, then, if God's here, I guess we should expect peace. And if he's not, then I guess we should expect what he doesn't do, and that's confusion. Finally, James says that worldly wisdom is characterized by five, or excuse me, he, he says this, this fifth one, he calls it he, every vile practice. I mean, we don't use the word vile. Usually, if we do, usually it's a lin on the end, you know, a violin. <laughs> we don't usually use the word vile. Perhaps a better way to, to say it is just to say wickedness of every kind. I won't go into all the kinds. I think you probably have imagination enough to fill in the blanks. And so that's worldly wisdom. And then we have godly wisdom. And notice that James says about godly wisdom that godly wisdom isn't just a way of thinking, but it's a way of living, not just a, oh, I have godly wisdom, Ooh, I have the mind of Christ, great, do you have the behavior of Christ, because if you don't have the behavior of Christ, you know what, you don't have the mind of Christ, indeed, notice verse 13, he says, who's wise and understanding among you, you're claiming that for yourself, great, who is it who's wise and understanding among, uh, among you, <laughs> by his good works, by his good conduct, I should say, let him show His works in the meekness of wisdom. Show me your wisdom. Don't tell me about it. Don't tell me you're wise and then you're selfishly ambitious and you're filled with bitter jealousy and you're causing disorder and on and on. Show me godly wisdom alive in you. And so godly wisdom isn't just a way of thinking. It is a way of living. Anyone can Claim to, pres- to possess godly wisdom. In fact, people do. And if they do, and maybe it's you. Let's see how you do under pressure. <laughs> That's when the real you comes out. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm filled with the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Good. You know, by the way, when the Spirit is filling you, they, you get those all together. Notice it's not called the fruits of the Spirit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. You get all nine at once when the Spirit of God, you will be both joyful and patient. (laughs) Right? And the Spirit of God is working in you. You go, Lord. I I was telling the men on on Saturday something was bothering me. I felt like I was being mistreated and everything. And I said, said, Lord, I said, well, thank you. Now I get to know what it's like how you have to put up with me. (laughs) Because you do nothing but good in my life. And I'm indifferent to you sometimes and I ignore you and so on. And I am unjust to you and you keep on loving me. And now I'm experiencing this thing and I think I, get, I deserve better. And now I get to know what it's like for you to have to deal with me. <laughs> I think that's from the Spirit. And so I rejoiced <laughs> in the circumstance. I don't do that always. That's why I'm telling you that I did it. <laughs> but that's when the Spirit of God is at work. And so godly wisdom isn't, always, isn't just about thinking, it's a, it's a way of, of living. And then, and then James says that, that godly wisdom is characterized by eight features. The first of which is moral purity. Moral purity, that is a moral and spiritual soundness. And if you don't like the word purity, you might want to stop and think about that. When you drink a glass of water, would you like some dirt in it? How about, how about if they, after, how, how about if the, the waiter says, and, and how about water? Oh, yes, water. Oh, and lemon, too. And when the waiter brings it, he or, he or his fingers are in the water. Now, purity is really a good thing when you stop and think about it. How much water can you actually have in your transmission and it still will work that's because there's an impurity something that doesn't belong moral purity is sound and good it is what it's supposed to be and peace is a characteristic of godly wisdom it's the exact opposite of bitter jealousy selfish ambition rivalries chaos and disorder godly wisdom is peaceful And James says that godly wisdom is gentle. It's characterized by gentleness or meekness or what we would usually refer to as humility. I always loved uh, Tim Keller's definition of humility. He he describes it as blessed self forgetfulness. That is so awesome. Blessed self forgetfulness. Swindoll often refers to how we, he says, we we take ourselves too seriously and God not seriously enough. And when we're doing that, we're generally miserable. I'm not getting this, I'm not getting that. But when we're self forgetful, we're just looking around and go, look how green that grass is. I mean, it's extraordinary. Linda and I a week or so ago, I think it was a couple of weeks we got out of the car, came back together. We happened to be together and got out of the car. And we got some, I got a bush and these flowers and the butterflies are all around it. Oh, look at these beautiful butterflies. When you're focused on self, you don't see the greenness in the grass and the beauty of the butterfly or the image of God in the person sitting across from you who may be a blessing or even a bane to you. But the image of God is there, if we have eyes to see. Robert Llewellyn, in his book, A Doorway to Silence, said, Humility is the foundation of all virtue, for no other virtue is possible without it. Humility is the foundation of virtue, for no other virtue is possible without it. And James says that godly wisdom is characterized by openness, that is, if you like, a willingness to, to learn and to grow and to change, a willingness to listen. I can't remember who exactly it was, I, it might have been Stephen Covey who said that uh, generally most of us are l- listening and trying to, while we're listening, to form a response. I Mea culpa, that's Latin for I'm guilty, right? I get so excited about what they're saying, but I'm not maybe listening because I'm thinking, oh, I got a great antidote to that. Oh, yeah. But, I'm not, but if all I'm doing is shoveling out what I've already got, I'm not in a position to take it in. Maybe you got something for me over here. And godly wisdom is open to that. And it's merciful or compassionate would be a way to put that. In fact, Nicky Gumbel in his book, Challenging Lifestyle, he wrote this about mercy. He said, mercy is an attitude opposite of that of the fault finder who's ever looking and dwelling on the faults of others. (laughs) Mercy is an attitude opposite of that of the fault finder who's ever looking for and dwelling on the faults of others. No doubt the faults are there but when we're merciful, we just say, does it really matter? What's the good I can focus on? That's to be merciful. And godly wisdom's like that. Six, godly wisdom is good. <laughs> it's good. It's a benefit and a blessing to all we meet, right? It's a benefit to you. It's a blessing to you. And when you are engaging and living your life according to godly wisdom, it splashes out on everybody around you and so it becomes a benefit and a blessing to them. I always loved Chuck Swindoll's definition of biblical wisdom in the biblical tradition. He referred to it as skill for living. Skill for living. Oh, I don't want to be wise. Yes, you do, because we all need skill for living. That's what it means to be wise. And James says it's characterized by impartiality. God's wisdom is devoid of prejudice and favoritism. It's always fair. It would be one of the greatest compliments if anybody could say, well, you know what? I know she's fair. I know he'll be fair. I know, I know I can count on her to do the right thing with others and with me. Finally, number eight, God, godly wisdom, James says, is characterized by sincerity. There's no hypocrisy in it. What you see is what you get. Finally, James says that godly wisdom's ultimate end is righteousness. Its ultimate end, where it, where it comes into the station. Where the harvest is taken in is righteousness. Notice verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle or humble, open to reason, full of mercy and goodness, good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness. That's what happens at the end when the harvest is taken in. And a harvest of righteousness is sown or planted in peace by those who make peace. And so godly wisdom's ultimate end is righteousness. It is ever sowing the seeds of peace and the result is a harvest of justice for all. And so... I wonder what kind of wisdom are you practicing? <laughs> Godly wisdom? <laughs> or worldly wisdom? And how is the kind of wisdom that you're practicing affecting the life and culture of Holy Cross Church? I don't know what, what the church was called that James was writing to, but ours is called Holy Cross. Patrick Morley in his book the man in the mirror, wrote this. Many of us are, in the church are Christian in our spirits, but worldly in our practice. We become a generation of cultural Christian. Is that what you are? Christian in spirit, but worldly in practice? There's lots to think about, I think. As we reflect on this, and yet remember that godly wisdom isn't just about thinking, godly wisdom is about doing. Godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. Let us pray. Just popped into my head, Lord, Jesus' words. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. (laughs) whole lot of truth in this, Lord, from your servant James, repeating so much of what we find Jesus saying in other places. But it's truth. (laughs) And it's liberating. If I embrace it, And if I do it, so help us to do that. Help me to do that, to know it, to make it my own, and to live it out. What did Jesus say? Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Heavenly Father, help us do that.